Well, let me add my uh, good morning to you. My name's Roger. I'm going to lead us in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for your life-giving word. Uh, As we have heard it read and as we hear it proclaimed, uh, may it shape our hearts and minds that they might be shaped uh, like your heart and mind. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome to uh, Back to Church Sunday. Uh, Back to Church Sunday got me thinking about uh, uh, a show that used to be around in the past, Mr Bean, Rowan Atkinson, uh, old comedian. He used to do different comedy sketches. He had one of going to a church and, uh, uh, you know, being bored out of his brain. Now, I'm sure that you, uh, even if you had that expectation, that is not going to be met today. Uh, One of the things that they show is, uh, when they get to this part where the preacher's preaching, uh, he falls asleep gracious, great, uh, gracefully or ungracefully, but all you hear in the background of the preacher is... Hopefully that expectation will not be met for you today. Now, the other thing that I do remember is the uh, story of the person who brought... Uh, a woman who brought her friend to church... And she said, look, I'll explain things along the way as they go. And when the preacher uh, got up, he would... And this is how I grew up in church. This used to happen. We put a clock on the wall now. But a preacher would take off his watch and put it there so he could see the time in front of him. And the the visitor said to her friend, oh, uh, why is he doing that? And uh, and her friend said, oh, don't worry about that. It doesn't make any difference to how long he drones on anyway. I hope that expectation is not met either. Uh, But what about when it comes to us and God? Unsurprisingly, here in church, uh, we come face to face with God. And at at the end of the day, it's not church that's the be all and end all. It's God and what he thinks of church and us. And one of the challenges I think that we all face when we're thinking about what someone else is like is that we tend to see people uh, through our own eyes. We tend to think they have the same preferences as us, the same likes as us, the same things they don't like as us. Uh, But because uh, people are different, uh, they do think uh, very differently, sometimes worlds apart from one another. Uh, And so people come with expectations of who they think God is. Perhaps uh, he is a ruthless and judgmental God because anyone who has power uh, will be so. Or perhaps uh, at the other extreme, a doddery old grandfather figure who largely stays out of your way. Uh, Perhaps you, you, you or someone you know has come with expectations, with harsh expectations, that God is an unforgiving God or likewise expectations that he is asleep at the wheel, uncaring for our suffering. Now, what about you? What are your expectations of God? What have you arrived here at church with this morning And perhaps even more importantly, how do they line up with God as he truly is and has shown himself through his words and actions? That's that's really what's before us this morning. Uh, What he's really like uh, has got to matter most over and on top of what we think he's like. And so that's that's where we're going to be heading today. 
uh, as we come to Luke 15, which is we've been looking at uh, across January and we'll be looking at up till Easter, not Luke 15 every week, uh, we'll do chapters 13 to 19 across the week. Uh, but as we come to this today, we read out from verse 11, I just want to take you back and read for you uh, verse 1 and 2, because this is very helpful to understand what is going on as Jesus speaks. Verse uh, 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so it's worth making that connection. You know, why did Jesus think it was important to tell the parable of the lost son? Well, it was because of the people and the expectations that he was face-to-face with. Indeed, uh, people and expectations that still exist today. And the thing that strikes me about Jesus is that he says so many outrageous things. You might not expect to hear the person up the front say that in church. (laughs) But Jesus keeps doing it. Uh, And the reactions that he got at the time that he was walking and talking in this part of the world show that they thought what he was saying was outrageous too. But sometimes what is most outrageous is most what we need to hear. Uh, Jesus told parables, uh, we we saw a few of them over the last uh, few weeks in Luke 13 to 9, and he he told parables as a story uh, that was like a picture in which people could see others uh, and what they were like. But he also, that same picture uh, held up to us is like a mirror that shows us what we are like and what we need as well. And so that's why we're going to spend a few minutes uh, uh, here again in Luke 15. And the other thing I should say about, oh, I'll get there in a second. I'll get there in a second, Anton. Thank you for trying to preempt me. I didn't give him this, you see, so he's got a, he's got a guess. Uh, uh, the other thing is that the religious leaders that Jesus was speaking to, uh, they saw themselves as the gatekeepers. They were the gatekeepers. They were meant to be the gatekeepers of knowing God and knowing ourselves and knowing how he brings the two together. But clearly there was a problem, a huge problem, because what they expected and what Jesus expected of God, our Heavenly Father, were as far apart as East is from the West. And so we are going to, uh, uh, the direction we're going to go this morning is uh, shown by these questions, well, the answers to these questions that unfold in this parable of Jesus. What we are like, what God is like, and where to now. So let me pick it up with the opening words in verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. There are three uh, characters uh, in this parable. There is the father, there's the younger son, and there's the elder son. And uh, if you think the teenagers that you've experienced in your life were demanding, take a moment to ponder this younger son. It reminds me of the line I heard uh, some time ago, in these days of electronic payments, it might not be so relevant, 
Uh, but it was a line where uh, a father said, a father carries pictures in his wallet where his money used to be. Okay. Uh, you in Chips and Chat, you can ask what a wallet is after church. Uh, but this kid, he, he takes it to a whole new level, doesn't it? He wants half the estate. Now, when should children get their share of the estate? It's when their parents die, isn't it? Again, I don't encourage anyone in this room to go to their living father or mother and ask for their half share of the state, the estate. Because what you are saying in doing that, what the son here is saying, uh, let me put it bluntly, he's saying, I wish you were dead and I had your stuff. No parent, no person wants to hear that. It's an outrageous thing to say. And here is Jesus putting this younger son before us. Well, uh, the father in this story does what he's asked. Uh, Remember, it is a parable. And so the younger son is free to do what he wants and he leaves home and he spends like he's got one of those, you know, those platinum MasterCards or no limit on the afterpay or something like that. And he takes advantage of everything that belonged to his father uh, and his father to boot. He turns his back on him completely. And I take it uh, this is part of what Jesus is doing, uh, holding up a mirror Uh, in this parable, he is showing that uh, this is the way that people treat God, you and I included. This is the gravity of it. As as Jesus was describing this outrageous situation, he was actually showing the outrageous situation which we find ourselves in without the intervention of our Heavenly Father. This is what we are like. This is what life is like. Uh, And so we are meant to see ourselves in this reckless son. And where he cuts all ties from his father, where he, you know, raises his flag of independence, I'm doing it my way, uh, I know what's best, uh, we are meant to see ourselves. Now you might think that's a long bow to draw, but consider what the Bible tells us that God not only made us, but that he gives us everything we have, every morsel we eat, every uh, breath we take, every relationship uh, that we uh, embrace. But when we pull the plug on him being uh, God in our lives, what happens? What happens? Well, the parable shows us, doesn't it? It's uh, actually a train wreck. And we read from verse 14. Uh, After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to to feed his pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So he's gone from the heady heights, uh, rich, wealthy, Uh, well-liked, he falls to rock bottom without any money, without anything to eat, 
uh, without anything, uh, without any respect. This is what independent living, this is where I know better uh, living ends up. It looks appealing, uh, but just as chucking in his family came with consequences for this son, so living independently from God comes with serious consequences for us. And we all see the evidence of it. Uh, We even live it. The signs are all around us. You only have to look at how we go at treating others. Uh, Sometimes, whether it's as fathers or mothers, as children, as parents, uh, yes, as workmates or friends, uh, we deal with conflict badly. Uh, We deal with accumulating stuff badly. We deal with the environment badly. And then the consequence to rule them all is that after life, we die. And we know, don't we, it's just wrong. It's just wrong. Turning our backs on God is a disaster. But when we come back to the younger son in Jesus' story, having hit rock bottom, the son comes to his senses. Uh, things are moving quickly in this, uh, this story. Uh, the, you know, it just gets from milestone to milestone. And so we uh, happen upon verse 17 where we're told by Jesus, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and here I am starving to death. I will sit out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. As far as this younger son's story goes, this is the crucial moment. Uh, This is where it comes together for him and instead of continuing to turn his back on his father, he turns back to his father. Uh, you hear it in those words, uh, or you can describe that his words like this, I did the wrong thing. I don't deserve to be your son. Please let me work for you to earn enough to eat, but only as the least of your servants. What an extraordinary about face. Uh, the Bible has a word for this sort of thing. It's called Repentance. Uh, Some people think of repentance as feeling sorry. It can include feeling sorry, but even more significantly is is changing direction. Uh, To stop what we are doing and to do the opposite. And you see that in this son, don't you? Uh, Where he says, I was wrong and instead of serving myself, I'll serve you. So as Simon kicked off, our time together this morning, it begs the question, well, that's well and good. You can uh, desire to be reconciled uh, to someone important in your life, but you don't have control over how the other person will react. And remember, those religious leaders that Jesus was talking about, uh, they they really projected a harsh view of God, a you have to impress God way of seeing the world. Uh, You have to earn God's forgiveness. But listen to this. 
and see what God is like. In verse 20, so the younger son got up, went to his father, and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. This is how God longs to treat you and me. Now, there's no doubt, is there, in the story uh, that the father's happy to see his son. And it's funny, we read the father kissing his grown son and we might think, well, that's a bit out there for our culture, uh, but that's not out there for the ordinary Middle Eastern man. Uh, I tell you what is, though, I tell you what is another outrageous thing Jesus says that would have been obvious to the first people who heard this and can be to us, is that he ran. Older men in Jesus' day, they don't run. That is totally shameful. It is not what an honoured elder person does. And yet, he acts like this toward the son who has dishonoured him. It's extraordinary. And what he reveals is his no-strings-attached, unconditional love and acceptance of his son. The son, he manages to get out his pre-rehearsed speech, but his father doesn't really answer him in words at this point. Instead, he answers him by what he does. How honoured would you feel to be treated as this son is treated? Dressing him up as a mark of honour. Killing the fattened calf that's saved only for special occasions and special people. Pulling out all the stops so that everyone can share in his joy For his part, the father not only shows us, but he does tell us his thinking in verse 24. Uh, Verse 24, thank you. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. This son had wished his father dead and all that had gained him was that he found himself dead to his father. He disowned, the the, the father, the disowned father shows his son the compassion and forgiveness that we could only dream of as people who have turned our back on and lived independently of God our father. And like the forgiving father in this parable, Jesus reveals God is first and foremost compassionate, longs to forgive. You know, this, uh, this parable is often referred to. It's there, it, it probably printed in your Bible uh, as a heading, uh, as uh, the parable of the prodigal son or the parable of the lost son. Actually, it'd be better to call it the parable of the forgiving father. The father here, the father who represents God, our Heavenly Father. He lavishes his kindness and grace on the child who doesn't deserve it and breathes life into this relationship uh, that was dead. And God, our Father, lavishes us with his mercy and forgiveness. And he breathes life into our relationship with him which was dead. Because there is nothing more God wants 
than to see people like you and me back in his arms, uh, living as he made us to live, knowing him as our father and he us as children privileged to be called members of his family. You know, we've all done it. Uh, We've all lived our lives uh, with God in the background, even so far in the background as if uh, to suggest that he wasn't there at all. But when we hear the message to turn back to him, when we have our expectations of the world and ourselves shaped by his expectations as we're hearing today, this challenge to repent, what we are meant to think and do when it comes to God our Heavenly Father, should we think of him as a ruthless judge? Should we think of him as a doddery old grandfather? Should we think of him as having harsh expectations and being unforgiving or asleep at the wheel and uncaring? No. We meet the true God, the God who made us, who is compassionate and forgiving and filled with joy at our repentance and reconciliation to him. Now, at this point, you may still have a niggling doubt. Uh, Perhaps like the elder son, uh, which we could have read on, uh, well, we heard read, we could read more again now, but uh, he thought that his father didn't act fairly. Uh, His expectations of how the father should act uh, were not how the father, in fact, acted. Uh, He would have done it differently if their roles were uh, reversed. But this isn't the view of the father. But sometimes, sometimes you do not want to be treated fairly as the religious leaders uh, thought fairness uh, would be handed out. I can think of my own life. I'm sure you can probably think of uh, times in your life Uh, where you weren't treated fairly, but you were grateful not to be. Uh, I cast my mind back uh, to my own father and the time that, uh, using his car, I was young and in a hurry and not paying attention uh, and damaged his car. Uh, And the way he treated me was not fair, it was not the way I deserved. He treated me better than that. I can think of a time that I told my parents I was coming home at a certain time before the days of mobile phones, if you can imagine that. Uh, And I came home hours and hours later and they thought the worst had happened. Uh, And kindly, wonderfully, uh, you know, they didn't treat me the way I deserved. The point is, God doesn't treat us fairly or the way we deserve when he calls us back to himself through Jesus. Uh, He treats us as precious sons and daughters. You might be surprised to hear this, but God is not religious. You do not have to prove yourself to God. Rather, accept the truth about yourself and God. 
That is what the religious leaders of Jesus' day, and we are at risk, uh, unless we hear God's word to us today, of thinking. And how can we be sure... How can we be sure that what Jesus says actually reflects the truth about the God of the Bible? Well, it's what Jesus goes on to do. I said, didn't I, that he was making his way to Jerusalem and as he has already told his disciples, when he got there, he suffered, he was killed, he was buried. And on the third day, he rose again from the dead. Jesus is actually the the fourth character in this parable. He's the narrator of this parable, uh, uh, the one who tells it but who will actually uh, be the one who makes it possible. Where he receives uh, the consequences we deserve so we may not experience them. Jesus came into the world, died upon the cross in order that we might have life. And so the very one who says such challenging and outrageous things, as telling this parable, as confronting uh, the religious leaders, is also the one who makes forgiveness possible. And so this is the invitation to us today and the challenge to come home to him, to return to the Father and live in the knowledge that uh, with the same compassion and forgiveness he has done all the legwork uh, at a terrible and costly expense. But because of Jesus, we have a Father in heaven who longs to welcome us home. For others of us, There are so many of us who have accepted this invitation. But he still challenges us as well because we are reminded again of how God has treated us and it will always be our default. We will always veer back in the direction of thinking we have to prove ourselves to God or impress God with our religion, with our works, where in fact we cannot impress him. We can only be his children through his grace. And so as we live each day, we need to preach to ourselves. Uh, You might think, you know, I or David are the only people who preach, but actually I, I get to do it, you know, once a week. You get the privilege of preaching to yourself every hour of the day and being reminded of the compassion of God that we heard in Psalm 103. Or, or the, the lavish grace of God that we've heard in Luke 15. Or the same as you read other parts of the Bible. Remind yourself of this each day and you will experience true life and look forward to the life to come. Now, talking about fathers and sons as we have been today, uh, I am conscious that people's personal experience uh, of fathers can press buttons of great joy, also great sadness, of elation and also of anger. And if you face difficulties of which we can be helpful, David or I, to listen uh, and to sit with you uh, to those, we would 
love to be helpful in that. But even that pain that you might feel or that the person next to you might feel, it cries out how important it is to have God as our Father. Uh, The Father Jesus reveals to us so clearly, the one who never disappoints, who will not let you down, who will protect and keep you safe, who exceeds all expectations, who is the father of fatherhood itself. Rest in him. Rest confident in him. Now, if you have heard an invitation this morning that you would like to accept... Uh, and you are wondering, how do I do that? Or you've accepted it already uh, and you would be helped to respond in this way. I want to share with you a prayer, a prayer of turning back to God. Uh, I'll read it out, but I'm going to pray it in a minute. And uh, I offer it to you uh, as the way in which you too may come not back to church, but back to your heavenly Father. It goes like this. Dear God, I'm sorry that I've turned my back on you. I'm sorry that I've lived like this is my world and not yours. Please don't treat me as I deserve. Please forgive me through all that Jesus has done. And I thank you for your great compassion and mercy. Let's bow our heads. I'm going to lead us in this prayer. Dear God, I'm sorry that I've turned my back on you. I'm sorry that I've lived like this is my world and not yours. Please don't treat me as I deserve. Please forgive me through all that Jesus has done. And thank you for your great compassion and mercy. Amen. Well, let me say, if that is a prayer that you have prayed uh, for the first time, that is an extraordinary thing in your life today. Nothing comes close uh, to this relationship with God, our Heavenly Father, and we as his forgiven children. Uh, And if you've uh, repeated that prayer because you've prayed it before and are living in him, Uh, You too, with me, we share in the great joy that our Heavenly Father has moved us from being lost to found and indeed moved us from death to life. Praise him for that. Amen.